Hi, writers. Welcome to our new podcast about writing fiction. I'm glad you're along for it. This is Jim Thayer. Let's talk about the single most important technique for writing a novel. I had pizza with my nephew this week. He doesn't write fiction, at least not yet, though he's a wonderful storyteller. He asked me, if I had one piece of advice I could give to new writers, just one, what would it be? It was one of those, if you were alone on a desert island for the rest of your life, which book would you take type of questions, and it's fun to think about. And while I might have to think about Uh, which desert island book I'd take, there's no question as to which one piece of advice I'd give to new novelists. It's the most important single technique for writers because if we get the technique wrong, it is evident in the first pages of our novels and it kills our prospects because an agent or an editor won't read any farther. They will reject the manuscript right then just after a, f- a few pages. It won't, yeah, the editor or agent won't give the rest of our novel a chance. The mistake telegraphs that the writer doesn't know how to put together a novel. The well-known literary agent Donald Moss has written, The number one mistake I see in manuscript submissions is a failure to put the main conflict in place quickly enough. In fact, it's the primary reason I reject over 90% of the material I receive. Why do so many writers fail on this point? It's such a simple flaw to fix. That's Donald Moss. The technique is this. Skip backstory and long explanations and get get the story going right away with action and dialogue. Set out the main conflict, the big story question, in front of the reader in the first few pages of the novel. Our excellent writers know how to do this. Here's, here's an example from Edgar Allan Poe in A Cask of Amontillado. Here's the first sentence. The thousand injuries of Fortunato I had borne as best I could, but when he ventured upon insult... I vowed revenge. The reader knows right away this is a revenge tale, and there is likely going to be a murder involved. We have to read farther. Uh, in Gone with the Wind, the, the first, on the first page, we learn that Scarlet, Scarlet wasn't beautiful, but the boys hardly noticed, and she's going to try to win Ashley. We learn this within a page or two of the novel's opening. And so we learn a main driving force in Scarlet's life, and that's to marry Ashley Wilkes. This is an unobtainable goal and a little driver for the rest of the story, and this main story question is put into the novel within the first couple of pages. In uh, Cormac McCarthy's The Road, the first sentence is this, When he woke in the woods in the dark and cold of the night, He'd reach out to touch the child sleeping behind him. Already, the main story question is in place. Can the man keep his child and himself from harm? In 
Aaron Morgenstern's The Night Circus, here's the first sentence. The circus arrives without warning. No announcements precede it, no paper notices on downtown posts and billboards, no mentions or advertisements in the local newspaper. It's simply there when yesterday it was not. Actually, that's a couple of the first sentences of, of the novel Night Circus. Right away, the reader sees that a sinister circus is arriving in town. And very quickly, the reader meets the boys who will be potential victims of the circus. The main story question is in place right now. In Jane Austen's Emma, the novel takes place in the English country village of Highbury, and it involves middle-class people in everyday situations. Uh, we might think the story is uh, slow and comfortable, but in fact, the tension begins on the first page when we learn Emma's closest friend, Miss Taylor, is to be married, leaving Emma alone and unsettled. The story's already moving on page one. What will Emma do? How about Mark Haddon's the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. Here's the first sentence. It was seven minutes after midnight. The dog was lying on the grass in the middle of the lawn in front of Mrs. Shear's house. Its eyes were closed. Where uh, 15-year-old Christopher, the novel is about Christopher, who discovers this dead dog on his, uh, the neighbor's yard. The, the neighbor's poodle is named Wellington. And uh, Christopher sets out to uncover the murderer. The main story question is right there in front of the reader in the early pages. Here's John Steinbeck in The Grapes of Wrath. Uh, on page one, in lovely prose, Steinbeck describes the weather and the parched land that has led to the Dust Bowl catastrophe in Oklahoma. And then he adds, men and women huddled in their houses and they tied handkerchiefs over their noses when they went out and wore goggles to protect their eyes. Steinbeck has given us the story question right there in the first couple of pages. I've read some famous first lines of novels here. I'm not necessarily talking about the first lines. I'm talking about the first couple of pages. There are two main culprits in failing to put the main story question into place. The first is backstory. Backstory is a term of art in the writing business, and it consists of events that happened prior to the opening scene of the novel. If the events in our novel start on February 1, 2025, anything that happened before that date is backstory. Be wary of Putting backstory in our novel, usually a novel uh, needs less than a writer might think. But be especially wary of putting backstory in your first few pages. Backstory in the first three or five or ten or more pages of your novel will kill your novel's chances. Here's, here's the reason a lot of writers, including me, want to put too much backstory in our novels. As we have plotted and researched, we've thought and thought about our characters and their histories, spinning out their backgrounds in our minds, which is it's a lot of fun, creating 
characters. And as we've put together our outline, we've come up with lots of off-camera explanations for events in our story. And after all the work we've put into these explanations, creating our character, the, the truth is sometimes hard to accept. Readers are not much interested in backstory. Backstory is usually more dull than the writer believes. It's less interesting. A novel is like time. It moves forward. Readers expect mostly forward momentum, movement toward resolution of the conflict. They want the new, not the old. They want to know what will happen, not what happened. Here's an example of what I mean, an, an example I just wrote uh, this morning. It's the first page of a, a novel that takes place in 1918 in France during World War I. This is an example of how to do it wrongly, where the prospect-killing mistake occurs after the tenth sentence. Here's the first page of uh, the novel. She had never before driven an ambulance, this old Ford, and she had to lift herself using the steering wheel to gain the heft to press the clutch. The Ford growled and clanged. On the seat next to Louise Raphael were extra rolls of bandages and her gas mask. The cargo bay was filled with stretchers and Army first aid packets. Her assignment this night and every night was to drop off the packets and pick up wounded soldiers, usually within 50 yards of the front-line trenches. A Red Cross badge was on the left shoulder of her olive-colored uniform. The Ford's headlights were blackened, so German snipers couldn't see them, and the quarter moon lit up the dirt road only in meager silver light. All she could do was follow the ambulance on the road in front of her, and hope its driver wasn't lost. In the distance, a shell exploded, lighting the night sky in orange. The scent of cordite drifted through the Ford's open window. That's a start of our novel. It's not a bad start. What's going to happen next to Louise? What awful things lie in front of her? And there are some awful things up that road. The literary agent and publisher must read further. But a new writer here who has researched and written these engaging first sentences then makes her profound and prospect-killing mistake. After the sentence, the scent of cordite drifted through the window. The inexperienced writer writes, Louise hadn't intended to be an ambulance driver. Who raised in Walla Walla, Washington did? She had graduated at the top of her high school class, and her mother had encouraged her to go to college and maybe medical school. Her father had said girls become nurses, not doctors. Her father owned a hardware store on Main Street and knew everyone in town, and he was well-liked. Customers came in for ten-penny nails and bought the nails plus a ball-peen hammer and screen for their doors. Louise's degree from the University of Oregon had been in business. And when she volunteered for the Red Cross in Europe, she thought she'd be called on to use her business acumen, maybe to schedule am ambulance drivers. Her first day near the front, this was near the Meuse River, the captain had pointed at an ambulance and had said, 
Four miles north of her, injured soldiers are waiting for you. She had, uh, she had been astounded to learn that the captain was also from Washington State, from Yakima, the peach and pear area. <laughs> this is backstory. The agent or publisher won't read any farther in the novel. An email rejection will be sent. The agent or editor has learned with the backstory on the first page of the novel that the writer doesn't know how to construct a novel and so there's no point in reading farther. This mistake can't be recovered from because no one in the industry will read farther. I have freelance edited many, many novels and have taught writing classes for years reading students' submissions. This mistake too early backstory is widely made, and it appears to me to be irresistible for many new writers, maybe most new writers. Why is this, why is the urge to insert early backstory so compelling in new writers? Why does it happen so often? I think it's for a couple of related reasons. First, writers like to think about their characters, building their backgrounds, and inventing their histories. It's a lot of fun and can be highly interesting. Uh, the, the research sometimes is needed. And when the new writer gets the character's background all figured out, she wants to tell the reader about it right away. The urge is unbelievably strong. The writer has this wonderful, maybe interesting, maybe lovable, maybe courageous protagonist all figured out, and it becomes important to tell the reader about her right away. And second, part of the reason it's irresistible for the new writer is because she hasn't studied the craft and doesn't know otherwise. She doesn't know that backstory in the first pages of the novel kills her prospects. The second culprit in failing to put the story question in place early is over and early explanation. The writer's desire to put everything in place and make everything clear so the reader will know exactly what has happened and where everyone is and the stakes and the history. So after these sentences, all she could do was follow the ambulance on the road in front of her and hope its driver wasn't lost. In the distance, a shell exploded, lighting the night sky in orange. The scent of cordite drifted through the Ford's open window. After those sentences, the inexperienced writer, who has done a lot of research, goes on with these sentences. This was June 16, 1918. And this engagement would come to be known as the Second Battle of the Marne. The Germans were dug in just north of the town of Reims. They had opened the shelling about midnight a day before and followed with the main attack at 8.15 that morning. The French had returned the shelling, then had counterattacked, and uh, but that had failed to drive off the Germans. Here, in an attempt to put everything in place, the writer has begun a, a military explanation that sounds like a Wikipedia article. I'm sympathetic to this tendency. I read a lot of military history, and I'm fascinated by it. The, the Second Battle of the Marne is an important event in world history, a, a shattering episode of World War I, and it is indeed important and proper that we 
world citizens know what happened those days in 1918. But not here. Not now in the stories, opening pages, or even the opening chapters. Or maybe the writer is an antique Ford, uh, antique Ford aficionado and thinks building up an image of the Ford ambulance is important for the readers. Uh, with an explanation of the truck's history and its engine and drivetrain, my first car was a Ford Falcon. I love that car, and I like Fords. Such an explanation would be interesting in an article about Fords, not in the first pages of a novel. Or maybe the writer loves the Red Cross. Who doesn't? And the writer wants to lay some plaudits for that organization with some sentences or paragraph of its history and role in World War I. It'd be a good article for a magazine, but not here in the first pages of the novel. All of this, the, uh, the battle history, the Ford, the Red Cross, is a mistake early in the novel. The reader wants to know what happens to Louise next. This urge to set things out for the reader about the protagonist, about things, about the history, this urge is unbelievably strong. It's strong in all of us, but successful writers know to dampen the urge. New writers do not know, and so they smother their own chances. The key here is to wait. The reader can wait. If certain things about the Second Battle of the Marne or the Ford Ambulance or the Red Cross are important to the story, add them later after the story is well underway, and keep those explanations short. The reader doesn't need to know all the stuff at the beginning of the novel. The writer doesn't need to set it all out. So if for some magical reason I were limited to mentioning one and only one technique to the new, novel, to the new novelist, it's that one. Get your story going right now with no backstory or explanations in the first pages. My desert island book, by the way, would be Harold Bloom's The Best Poems of the English Language. It contains poems from Geoffrey Chaucer to Robert Frost, along with Bloom's commentaries on the poems and histories of the poets. And it's a thick book that would take a long time to get through. I've been reading and rereading this book for 15 years on and off. I've almost worn it out. And it's about to fall apart in my hands, loose pages drifting to the floor. When that happens, I'll get another copy. My new novel, Fagin and Miss Havisham, has been released and is available at Amazon. The novel takes place in London in the 1820s, and its characters are Charles Dickens's famous characters from many of his novels. Fagin and Bill Sykes from Oliver Twist. Miss Havisham from Great Expectations, Murdstone from David Copperfield, and many others. They are younger than in Dickens's novels, and I toss them together to see what happens. The publisher is Creative Texts, an independent publisher and a good one, and I'm delighted. I had huge fun researching and writing the novel. I tried to take readers back to London 200 years ago. 
and I hope you'll consider getting a print or ebook copy. You'll be able to see whether I can actually do the writing techniques we talk about in these episodes. The title again is Fagan and Miss Havisham. Thank you. Let's talk about building our characters for the readers. Can we find a single character trait that shows a reader a lot about the character in just a few words? Remember, remember coming across a character in a novel where the writer conveys something big and important and unforgettable about the character in just a sentence or two? Here are a couple of my favorite examples. In the novel Hondo by Louis L'Amour, Hondo doesn't feed his dog, his devoted dog, and he won't allow anyone to feed him. The lesson for the reader is this, life is tough, we can't rely on anyone, and we have to be self-sufficient, and Hondo's a tough guy. Uh, Charles Dickens' beloved character, Wilkins Micawber, who is one of literature's great comic characters, always says after each new defeat, which indicates he'll probably have to move to a new town, Micawber always says, something will turn up. This is from David Copperfield, and the lesson is uh, Wilkins Micawber is an eternal optimist and also something of a loser, because things never really turn up for him. And surely in Anne of Green Gables, when she is introduced to someone, she makes clear that her name, Anne, is spelled with an E at the end. She, wa- she wants to be called Cordelia, quote, but if you call me Anne, please call me Anne with an E. Uh, spelled with an E, end quote. The lesson about Anne is that she has an identity and she's just not part of the crowd and she'll protect her identity. In Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes, uh, we learn about uh, Sherlock Holmes's incisive thinking and precise elocution when Holmes says, When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Arthur Conan Doyle's lesson about Sherlock Holmes with this one sentence is that Holmes will dig and dig and little will escape him. In Mark Twain's The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, Huck's Playfulness and honesty is made apparent in the first lines of the novel, which are, You don't know about me without you have read a book by the name of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, but that ain't no matter. That book was made by Mr. Mark Twain, and he told the truth, mainly. There was things he stretched, but mainly he told the truth. The reader learns a lot about Huckleberry Finn with just those few words. Huck is lovable, and he has a spark to him. We learn it all in a few lines. What do these great novelists teach us? Can we add something to our main character, a sentence or two, that is memorable and entirely revealing about the character, a trait that shows the reader a lot about the character in just a few brief words, a sentence or two? This can be a powerful way to make our character unforgettable. 
I remember these characters and mention them here because of those few sentences. Maybe we can come up with traits that make clear our character for the reader. We have arrived at the end of this episode. Uh, my email address is jimthairseattle at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Jim Thayer. Please keep tapping those keys. <laughs>